Hello, this is Ayush from newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Saturday, November 21st and India reported 46,000 new cases of COVID-19 in the last 24 hours, taking the total tally of the infection to 90.5 lakh. India is the world's second worst infected country with 1.3 lakh deaths and over 84 lakh recoveries. Active cases that have fallen from a peak of over 10 lakh in mid-September are starting to rise again as new infections outpace recoveries. As ambiguity prevailed over complete curfew in Ahmedabad city from 9pm yesterday till 6am on Monday, residents indulged in panic buying to hoard essential supplies, while those travelling to and from other districts hurried to cross the border on Friday. The Gujarat State Road Transport Corporation, or the GSRTC, announced that no bus service would be operational to and from Ahmedabad during the curfew period. From November 23rd, when the night curfew would be imposed in the city, all buses will arrive in Ahmedabad before 8pm and depart after 7am. The city's public bus services will also be shut during the curfew period with a few exemptions for railway stations and airports. The Gujarat High Court, which was expected to reopen at full strength for virtual proceedings from November 23rd, notified on Friday that the court shall remain closed on November 23rd and 24th due to the curfew in Ahmedabad city. At least one person died and several others were injured in North Tripura as police opened fire after a protest allegedly turned violent today. According to the police, action was taken after agitators reportedly started pelting stones and blocked National Highway 8 in Panisagar town, four hours north of state capital Agartala. The tribal brew community had fled to neighbouring Mizoram 23 years ago following ethnic strife in Tripura. Their resettlement, a pet project of Home Minister Amit Shah, was seen as a major success of the Narendra Modi government in the country's northeastern states. But the locals in Tripura's Kanchapur subdivision are strongly opposed to it. Police have confirmed the death of at least one young man in the police firing on a group of people protesting in support of an indefinite band or shutdown. Several others were also injured. NDTV reported that one personnel from the local fire department also reportedly died, but the police are yet to confirm his death. The shutdown has been in place since November 16th to oppose the central government's decision to rehabilitate thousands of tribal brew refugees. The Guwahati High Court has granted anticipatory bail to three men accused in the case of assault of journalist Milan Mahanta after his reports exposed rampant gambling by the land mafia with strong political links in Kamrup rural district. On November 15th, the journalist was tied to a pole in the middle of a busy road in Mirza, a town 45 kilometers west of Guwahati, and beaten up by a gang of gamblers. Only one of the five accused has been arrested till now. Three others, Abani Thakuria, Sanjay Thakuria and Biswaji Das, who can be clearly seen in the viral video of the assault on Mahanta, have been granted interim anticipatory bail by the Court of Justice Ajit Porthakur. The High Court has, however, asked Abani Thakuria and Biswaji Das to appear before the investigating officer in the case. But Sanjay Thakuria has been granted exemption till he is discharged from the hospital where he is recovering. Mahanta, who works with the leading Assamese daily, suffered injuries to his neck, head and ears in the incident. He also flagged a delay by the police in probing the incident which led to outrage. The State Bank of India sold electoral bonds worth 282 crore rupees to fund political parties in October ahead of the assembly elections in Bihar. With this, total donations to political parties through electoral bonds have touched 
6,500 crore rupees from the time the scheme was introduced in 2018. The Indian Express reported that the bank sold 279 bonds worth 1 crore rupees each, 32 bonds worth 10 lakh rupees each to donors in the 14th tranche, which was opened from October 19th to 28th. According to the data, the bank's main branch in Mumbai issued bonds worth 130 crore rupees in the 14th tranche, while the New Delhi branch issued 12 crore rupees in bonds. Encashment of bonds worth 237 crore rupees were done in three cities, Bhubaneswar, Chennai and Hyderabad. Electoral bonds which are purchased anonymously by donors are valid for 15 days from the date of issue. It is a debt instrument which people can buy from the bank and donate to a political party. The political party then encashes the bond by selling it back to the bank. According to the Indian Express, business houses in Mumbai are big purchasers of electoral bonds due to the anonymous nature of funding. The NGO Association for Democratic Reform, or ADR, recently moved the Supreme Court against the electoral bonds, saying anonymous financing by Indian as well as foreign companies can have serious repercussions on the Indian democracy. The Finance Act of 2017 introduced the use of electoral bonds, which is exempt from disclosure under the Representation of the People Act 1951, opening doors to unchecked, unknown funding to political parties. This week, the central government cautioned Hindu nationalist channel Sudarshan News over its show on UPSC Jihad, calling it offensive and in poor taste. The show had claimed that Indian Muslims were conspiring to infiltrate the civil services using funds from terrorist groups. The government had sent a show cause notice to the channel in September, and this week, News Laundry accessed the channel's reply to that notice. It turns out that the government pointed to 13 portions in the show that violated the program code. Sudarshan News had an interesting set of replies to this notice, and my colleague Anna and I have detailed it in our report that was published yesterday. It's titled, Sudarshan News claimed its UPSC Jihad show was misquoted, it didn't fly with the INB ministry. And you should read it to grasp the very first instance of a channel dealing with the Modi government on hate speech charges since our TV media went berserk. If you like our reports on the state of the Indian media, please do consider subscribing to News Laundry. You can do so by heading over to the website, newslaundry.com, and clicking on the subscribe button on the top right-hand corner. Our cheapest subscription costs only 300 rupees a month. Two days after four terrorists were killed and a cache of arms and explosives were recovered in Jammu, India today summoned the Shahjid affair of the Pakistan High Commission and lodged a strong protest over the attempted attack. It also demanded that Islamabad desists from its policy of supporting terrorists and terror groups operating from its territory. On Thursday, a joint team of Jammu and Kashmir police, CRPF and the army gunned down the four terrorists who opened fire on security forces near Nagrota on the outskirts of Jammu city. Two police personnel were injured in the three-hour encounter near the Band Toll Plaza on the jammu Srinagar National Highway. The police recovered 11 AK-47 rifles, three pistols, 29 grenades, explosives and other devices, including mobile phones and medicines with Pakistani markings. The police described the movement of terrorists as part of a plot to target the DDC post with an attack that could coincide with the anniversary of the 26-11 Mumbai terror attacks. With elections in the District Development Council of the DDC scheduled to take place in the Union Territory for November 28th, Prime Minister Narendra Modi had on Friday thanked the security forces for having defeated a nefarious plot to target grassroots democracy in Jammu and Kashmir. 
President Donald Trump's attempt to undo the election results was undercut twice by fellow Republicans on Friday, as Georgia became the first contested state to certify Joe Biden's victory, and Michigan lawmakers, after meeting the president, said they would not intervene in the state's election certification process. The New York Times reported that after steady complaints by Trump about the Georgia vote count and a methodical hand recount, Georgia's Secretary of State made the official final tally, showing Biden had defeated Trump by over 12,000 votes out of roughly 5 million cast. Governor Brian Kemp, a Republican, said that he would sign the certification. Hours later, a delegation of seven Michigan Republicans who had met with Trump at the White House at his request said they had no information that would change the outcome of the election in Michigan. Biden beat Trump in the state by nearly three percentage points. So Trump has tried to wear down the transition process with ineffective lawsuits and false claims of fraud, his failure to bend lawmakers in Georgia and Michigan to his will signals a vanishing path for his efforts to subvert the American election system. On Thursday, Biden issued a forceful condemnation of Trump's obstruction, saying that the president was sending incredibly damaging messages to the rest of the world about how American democracy functions. Several rockets hit residential areas in the Afghan capital Kabul today, killing and wounding civilians. The Associated Press reported that about 23 mortar shells killed at least 8 people and wounded 31 others. The shells were fired from two cars. No one took immediate responsibility for the early morning attack that also targeted the posh Wazir Akbar Khan area of Kabul, which houses diplomatic missions. The Taliban issued a quick statement denying any responsibility for the attack. The Islamic State Group affiliate also operates in the area and has claimed responsibility for recent assaults in Kabul, including two devastating attacks on educational institutions that killed more than 50 people, many of them students. Besides insurgent groups, there are several heavily armed warlords with militias living in Kabul with long-standing animosities against each other. The mortar barrage comes as representatives of Afghan government and the Taliban continued to hold talks in Qatar the progress has been slow. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is expected to press for a reduction in violence in his meetings with both Taliban and government on Saturday during a day-long stop in Doha. The Taliban have mostly ignored such previous requests. Violence in Afghanistan has spiked in recent months, with increasingly horrific attacks often claimed by the Islamic State group affiliate. Still, the Taliban have been waging near-daily assaults on beleaguered Afghan security forces. There have been increasing calls for a ceasefire if peace talks are to continue. The Taliban have been steadfast in their refusal, demanding that any ceasefire be part of the negotiations. Now, back to the homegrown stuff on Newslaundry.com. On Enel Hafta, Newslaundry's Abhirandan Sekri, Raman Kipal and Mehraj Tilon are joined by Smita Prakash, Editor-in-Chief of ANI, and Chitra Subramaniam, journalist and co-founder of the News Minute. They discuss COVID vaccines, the state of the Indian media, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris being an alternative to Trump, among other topics. With the recent developments around COVID vaccines, Chitra says that China might emerge with a people's vaccine. If it indeed develops a vaccine that's universally affordable, other countries will surely buy it. Here's a snippet from the episode. I have a sense that, uh, that China uh, is going to emerge as some kind of a people's vaccine. And you know, I know I'm saying this live on a very important podcast, but China hasn't said its last word yet. And uh, it started testing already two, two, one and a half months ago. I think it's in UAE. 
and uh, you know if you're going to come out with something like a and G has made these statements about uh, $1 vaccines or $2 vaccines, something like that. So we don't know. You know, if they come up with a vaccine that's universally uh, affordable and also the price point is right, I don't see why uh, any country will not take it. That's all the news we have for you today. Have a good day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.